on April 14th, 1865, Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. We know that to be a fact. But how do we know? CNN wasn't there to advertise it and broadcast it. Fox News wasn't on the scene. We don't have any videos. Those who are eyewitnesses to the event are now dead. We can't talk to anybody who actually saw it happen. So how do we know it really happened? And I would venture to guess 1,800 years from now, there's going to be some people who deny the fact that Abraham Lincoln was assassinated in Ford's Theater in 1865, April 14th. We just said a few minutes ago, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. I said, Christ is risen, and you guys said, he is risen indeed. And then together we said, what? Hallelujah. But how do we know? Was CNN on the scene? Was Jesus interviewed by Fox News? Could we read it from eyewitnesses in the newspaper the next day? Do we have a video? I remember a conversation I had many years ago with a guy who said, man, I would believe the resurrection if there was a video, if there were... Photographs. So how do you really know, Pastor Dave? Were you there? All of us at one time or another have doubts. And for some people, as we've heard, sometimes those doubts come when tragic experiences occur. When we lose loved ones or something difficult has happened to us that we really don't understand. But most of us here today don't have doubts during those times. We really have to admit, as many of you have told me, that God used those experiences to strengthen your faith and to draw you closer to him. No, I think the way Satan works in undermining our faith and casting doubts upon our faith is much more subtle. Do you know when I have doubts about the faith? Tell us, Pastor Dave. <laughs> it's when I'm on vacation. What? When you're on vacation? That doesn't make any sense. It will here in about 10 minutes. When do you have doubts? As I said, it's probably not when bad things happen to you because you understand that we live in a fallen world and tragic things happen and this is not our home and we're headed to heaven and when we get to heaven, everything is going to be glorious and perfect and wonderful and right. Amen? And so when does Satan really attack your faith? For most of us here today, I would say it happens when you watch a show or you listen to a song or you read a book that casts doubt on whether the resurrection of Jesus Christ can really be believed. Or you have a conversation with an agnostic and he argues so well and he says, give me proof that creation really happened. Give me proof that the tomb is empty. And you're so flabbergasted by what that person says, you don't have a comeback. 
How many of you have been there? Raise your hand. <laughs> yeah, you don't have a comeback. You just can't think that quickly on your feet. And you get in your car, or you go home, or you have a conversation with a loved one, and you say, maybe... Maybe I really can't believe that stuff that Pastor Dave talks about, Pastor Tim. Maybe, just maybe, it's not true. Do I got you hooked? Okay. Oh, Pastor Dave, give us hope. Give us confidence that what we just said, Christ is risen, is true. I want to know it's true. And can I know that it's true? And the answer is absolutely, positively, yes, you can. How? Why? Our text will tell us today. I love this text, man. It fires me up. And we're going to go through it real quickly, verse by verse, and you'll see why it fires us up. Now, we pick up the context in Acts chapter, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 24, verse 36. And what is the context of this? This is the third or fourth appearance that Jesus has made on the day he rose from the dead. His first appearance was to the women at the tomb. His second appearance was to the two men on the road to Emmaus. His third appearance was to Peter. And we don't know, there's no, no history of that. No recording of that in scripture, but we know that it's true. That he appeared to Peter first before the rest of the disciples. We know that to be true. Now we pick up the context here. The two men on the road to Emmaus had had an encounter with the risen Christ. What had happened to them? They were talking about how Jesus was crucified as they're talking along and walking along. And that he supposedly had been raised from the dead. All of a sudden a stranger joins them. And opens up the scriptures to them. And says that the Christ had to suffer all these things. And be raised from the dead in fulfillment of scripture. Then those two men on the road to Emmaus get to their home. And this stranger who is with them breaks bread with them. Suddenly their eyes are open and they realize it's who? Jesus. And then Christ is gone. Now they go to tell his disciples we've seen him. And they come on the scene in verse 36 as we pick it up. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, this is where we get our radio broadcast name, guys. What did he say? Peace to you. How cool is that? Peace to you. What does that mean? Reconciliation. Forgiveness of your sins. God accepting you. The wall of sin and partition. Separating you from God has been tore down. And you are at peace with God. But they were, I love this, they were startled. Verse 37. And frightened. And thought they saw Casper the ghost. Right? You know, a lot of times kids especially are fascinated by ghosts. Well, that goes way back. I mean... The disciples thought they were seeing an apparition, a ghost, a spirit, not Jesus in the flesh. Verse 38. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do what? Doubts arise in your hearts. That's a key word for the sermon today. Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Not in your mind. Down here where faith resides. In your hearts. Verse 39. Go ahead and look at it. 
Look at what he says. This is how he appeared to Thomas, remember, a following week. See my hands and my feet. In other words, he was saying, I'm alive. I'm not a ghost. I'm not an aberration. I'm something you can see and touch and feel and have a face-to-face -face encounter with. Verse 39, see my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Now you've got to understand that there was a thing called dualism, Gnosticism, back in Jesus' day. And that basically said that anything that is spiritual or ghost-like is good. Anything that takes on flesh is not good, is sinful. And so Jesus was saying, both my spirit and my body are together. And I am the holy one, the righteous one, the one that defeated death. Verse 40. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they, listen to this, disbelieved for what? This is too good, they were saying. This is too good to be true. And while they still disbelieved, verse 41, for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? Now, why in the world did he say that? Was it because he was hungry? No. He's the son of God. And yes, he's man. And yes, as man, he got hungry. But I don't think he was hungry here. What's one of the best ways that you know someone is physically present? You can touch them. You can see them. And if they eat in front of you and they swallow, they chew and they swallow and digest, you say, well, this isn't a ghost. That's why Jesus did that. Verse 41, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? Verse 42, they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. Now, what do you think it was like for the disciples to see Jesus eating in front of them? If I would have been there, I would have been like this. Can we have some? No. <laughs> I mean, you get it? They're still so overwhelmed and amazed and joy-filled that the risen Lord Jesus is now physically present with them. They've touched him. They've seen him. They've seen him eat in front of them. He's giving irrefutable evidence that he lives. Can you tell I'm fired up about this? I haven't preached for a couple weeks. Guys, this is so cool to me. And what I'm going to do is help dispel your doubts today by what these guys experienced. Verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. What things? That he was going to be handed over the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and raised up on the third day. Verse 45, then, listen to this, verse 45, then he what? Opened their minds. Before anyone can believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the power and the presence of Jesus must open up our minds so that it impacts our hearts. And that's exactly what he did here. He opened up their minds it's like a veil, a curtain, a separation, a partition was torn away so that now they finally got it. Did they get it before? Absolutely not. If they would have really believed and understood 
and their minds would have been open to the words of Jesus on resurrection day, they would have been at the tomb, right? They would have had a countdown. Five, four, three, two, one. But they didn't get it. Now they do. Do you get it? Well, I hope so. Pastor Dave, you know, you're kind of fired up up there. And yeah, I guess I get it. Well, hopefully at the end of this sermon you'll say, yeah, I, I, I get it. I, I got it. Verse 46. And he said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead... And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. I had a conversation recently with a young lady who told me these words. Why do you talk so much about repentance? Why do you convict us of sin so much? Because what does Jesus say here? That what should be proclaimed in his name? Repentance and what? Before we receive the forgiveness of sins in Christ, we must understand we're sinners, can't save ourselves, feel sorrow over that sin, understand that our sin is a separator between us and God, and repent of it. It's important. It's fundamental to the gospel. And that's what Jesus was saying here. Don't tell people I died and rose again without them being convicted that they need a Savior. Because when they're convicted that they need a Savior, then they'll embrace the forgiveness of sins. That the Savior has won. Amen? That's why he preached this. He said repentance and forgiveness of sins must be proclaimed to all nations beginning from where? From Jerusalem. So in the Old Testament, people descended on Jerusalem for all these festivals. The people came out and were gathered in. Now Jesus is saying, you are to be my witnesses starting in... Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now the gospel is going out. And that's what he's saying here. Starting in Jerusalem. And then here's the key verse. Verse 48. And I'm pausing for dramatic effect because I all want you to see it. Verse 48. You are witnesses of these things. You've seen it. You're going to testify about it. You're going to preach about it. All of you but one are going to be martyred because of it. You're going to go to death proclaiming me to be the Savior who was crucified and resurrected. John and Matthew and Peter, you guys are going to write about it. Peter, you're going to testify that as a man was physically healed before the temple gate, and people wonder and question, how did this happen? You're going to testify that those folks crucified me, but God raised him from the dead, and that you're a witness to it. Here's the power of an eyewitness. Here is the power of an eyewitness. Someone who sees it 
testifies about it, and writes about it. So how can the power of these eyewitnesses, these ones who had a face-to-face encounter with the risen Lord, dispel our doubts? How does it do that? How can they speak to us today? How can an eyewitness speak today to remove our doubts? And I encourage you to write this down, otherwise you're going to forget, just like me. I encourage you to write these three things down. Here's the first one. Read the story often. Read Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, and John 20 and 21. Read it often. Read the resurrection accounts often. Approach it like you're reading it for the very first time. Because this is the greatest story ever told. And if you understand that this is the greatest story ever told, I mean, here Jesus comes on the scene, lives with Mary and Joseph, we assume, for 30 years, although Joseph probably by the time Jesus began his public ministry was dead. For the next three years, he tells parables, performs miracles, raises people from the dead, is crucified, and the best part of the story, this is why it's called the greatest story ever told, is the resurrection of Jesus. This is what the New Testament hinges on. And so when you read the first actual eyewitness accounts of the resurrection of Jesus, it solidifies your faith. Now you're probably thinking, I hope you haven't been thinking it for the last 15 minutes. Pastor Dave, why do you have doubts on vacation? You know why? Because many times on vacation, I forget to bring my Bible. And I'm hanging out with my family, and, you know, I'm not around Christian people, although my family obviously is Christian, but kind of let my hair down a little bit and stuff like that. If I'm not in contact with the Word of God on a regular basis, guess what happens? Doubts enter in. But I know when I open up this book, that God is speaking to me. And I know it solidifies my faith. So read the story with childlike anticipation. Realize that these men who recorded these words had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus, lived to testify about it, lived to write about it, and were willing to die for this fact. And people don't die like that for a lie. Last week we heard Pastor Tim preach a powerful sermon about God pursuing us to remove our doubts. The best way he pursues us is through the word of God. Amen? Amen. Secondly, Christian fellowship. I would hope that you guys are transparent enough and know people at this church or other Christians well enough that when you have doubts, you can talk about it with fellow believers. Right? That you can talk about it with fellow believers. And you can say, you know what? I'm really going through a hard time in my life. Things are happening. There's a lot of things I don't understand. And as a result of that, I'm starting to have some doubts about the faith. And when someone tells you that, don't go, oh my goodness, you're kidding me. Really? I'm glad I'm never like that. We all struggle. We all have doubts. This is why we're a community. This is why we're family. This is why hopefully we're transparent enough and can accept people enough to know that sometimes folks are going to have doubts and that may even be you. 
and talk about it with other Christians so that they can encourage you. The Bible says, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as the day approaches. Galatians chapter 6 says, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the greatest burden a Christian could bear? Doubts about what we're talking about today. And the only thing besides the word of God that encourages people is to be transparent about it and talk about it with other well-meaning, Bible-believing, heartfelt, Christ-centered believers in Christ. And then finally, worship together. I've got to ask you today, why do you come to church? Man, I'm preaching a long time today, but I'm having a lot of fun. I hope you guys are too. Why do you come to church? Because you come to church to have your faith strengthened. Now, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, namely heaven, the assurance of things hoped for, and evidence of things not yet seen. What does that mean? That you haven't seen the risen Christ, but your faith is solidified as you hear the word of God. Listen to this. The more you come to church... And I really believe this is true. The more you come to church, the less doubts you have. The less you come to church, what? The more doubts you have. I asked a question at the beginning. We don't have time to go through it. But how does church take away your doubts? We just said it. You're, you're exposed to the word of God. You're among Christian people. You see the symbols of the death and resurrection of Christ. You hear the proclamation of the gospel. You hear the eyewitness account. It can't help but solidify your faith. Now, let's go back to our story that I started with. Abraham Lincoln, April 14th, 1865. How do we know it's true? Is there a video? Is there a movie? Was CNN on the scene? How do we know it's true? Because people were eyewitnesses of it and they testified about it and they wrote about it. Have you been to the Dead Sea Scrolls? Man, you've got to see the Dead Sea Scrolls. Here's documents of Isaiah, Psalms, Exodus, Genesis that you are within six inches of as you peer through this glass. And I have a Hebrew Bible in my office, and when you compare the Hebrew Bible to what's written on those documents, no difference. Why? Because people, when they saw these things, they wanted to make sure they recorded it accurately. Can you trust the reliable witnesses of the assassination of Abraham Lincoln? Yes or no? Yes. Can you trust the power of the eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus who testified about it, wrote about it, and were willing to die because of it? The answer is yes. Two powerful things happened this past week in my ministry. One was the death of a dear brother of mine, Randy Cordova, who used to be a member of this church and because he was kind of a 
raise your hand kind of guy and we didn't do enough of that he thought here he went to a church where they do a lot of that and I was perfectly fine with that but I remain in contact with Randy dynamic Christian he was raised in the church his parents taught him about Jesus they read the scriptures every evening he went to a parochial school he went to Lutheran high school he never wandered away from the faith he was regular in his church attendance and you can say Randy Cordova was a believer in Christ because of the power of an eyewitness. And then Tim Hobbin, many of you know him, told me that his one over here on the board was his nephew, his brother's son. And he had rejected the claims of Christ for years, but went off to college and became involved in Campus Crusade for Christ, was exposed to the power of an eyewitness in the word of God, emailed Tim and said, I'm going to church. I'm hearing the word of God. I'm in the fold. And Tim said, I guess I need to go into the sanctuary and flip over that card. How? Why? By the power of an eyewitness. If any of you came here today wondering, questioning, doubting the faith, trust the reliable words of Scripture. Trust the powerful witness of fellow believers. Trust that when you come to church, you're going to hear at this place both law and gospel, convicting us of sin and leading us to Christ. Because there is power, power in an eyewitness. Amen? Amen.